again Putting the pieces back together From a puzzle that keeps breaking apart So here I search again Trying to figure out a way to mend this broken heart Welcome to Post Poc Talk, my name is Oz And I'm Ed Several days ago, we received a message from an anonymous source early in the morning. The transmission arrived scrambled by an encryption, but we broke it using an elaborate series of powerful algorithms. We spilled coffee on the the thing. You spilled coffee on the computer. We have a computer? Not anymore. Boys, hello. This is Dr. Fairfield, world-renowned scientist. You've probably heard of me. Never heard of him. Have you? Maybe once but it might have also been a fever dream. I have manipulated this radio broadcasting device in order to request immediate dispatch to my location. I have very, very critical information requires dissemination as soon as possible. What the hell is he talking about? Does dissemination mean what I think it means? I don't know, but anyone that is capable of sending their voice miles away from themselves using only technology is incredibly dangerous. And clearly insane. Please. You must come at once. Your listeners must know the truth. Are inside of us. My coordinates are 40.0722 north by 105.5083 west. Please hurry. Should we go? The people need to know. Know what exactly? There's no time. We ride. The are inside us. The coordinates lead us to an abandoned mine road somewhere outside of Boulder, Colorado. Rather than risk attracting the mountain trolls with our car, we decided to embark on foot. I made sure to stock my patented electrospray annihilator pilfered from the remains of a research campus that apparently used it to view urine. And I grabbed a revolver and my poncho. And we went out into the woods of the mountains. A word to our listeners on traveling through mountain forests. The petrified lumberyards that became the state of Colorado are fraught with goat-worshipping rock trolls. Ten feet tall, faces like landmines, they crunch through the underbrush. They are drunk on power and moonshine. Any contact with them should be avoided. They are not, I repeat, they are not willing to share their rocky moonshine. As much as you could really use some, man. They will, however, accept gasoline in return for your limbs and brief safe passage. So we navigated up the old trails and rusted car parts deep into the valleys of the Colorado Rockies. After several hours, we crossed a peak and found a small town covered in shredded metal and trash nestled between two snowy, intimidating hills. As we crossed through the town, we kept our eyes on the abandoned houses moving closer towards the coordinates. Towards the back end of the town was a small compound, surrounded by metal wire and old planks of wood. Inside was a small field, and a rusted old shack with corroded metal for a roof. We spotted what looked to be an old radio duct taped under a tarp outside the gate, and we pressed the call button. Who is it? Dr. Fairfield, this is Oz and Ed from Postpoc Talk. You contacted us about something inside of us? We came as soon as we could. For God's sake, get inside before the dogs get you! It was then that we noticed the roving packs of dogs milling about parking lots several hundred meters away, watching us with silent eyes. They looked like swarms of rats from our distance, and no less hungry. 
The gate opened with a click, and we trudged through the snow to the old patio door. From up close, we realized that the shack was more of a large warehouse, and appeared to have a significant basement lying underneath it. Along the front of the patio were a series of pots filled with moist soil and one single piece of rusted metal growing out from the center of each. We knocked twice, and we were greeted by Dr. Fairfield. Hello! Dr. Fairfield is a squat, balding man who reeks of cheap and heavy cologne. We originally thought that it was just his way of appearing professional, but the whole place stunk of it. And from the bottles of it lying in the windowsills, we deduce that it must be some kind of warding system for some sort of creature. Women, maybe? Dr. Fairfield sat us down at his metal kitchen table, unbuttoned his tattered lab coat, stained with what we assumed was blood, but could have just as easily been old chocolate liqueur, and he wiped sweat from his forehead, which was also odd considering it was nuclear winter in Boulder and he was sweating bullets. Thank you for coming so quickly. There's much I need to show you and your listeners. Show? I don't think you know how radio works, pal. So, uh, what's inside of us? Patience, my friend. The worms are only a small part of the mysteries of this world. Worms? Worms. Worms? Worms? Worms. In your joints. How do you know this? Uh, Come with me, I'll show you. Keep that fucking gun handy. Yeah, I'm not shooting him until he tells me about these worms. Fairfield brings us to his back laboratory. Inside are several prime zombie specimens, as well as what appears to be a living human arm. These are my roommates. I am kidding, they will not pay rent. He shows us to his arm. Uh, Not the arm connected to his body, the other one, the one in the glass container. Inside is an arm. From a person. Okay. The arm is the core of my evidence. It led me to my discovery of the worms. That leaving us all? What's your evidence that they don't just live in that arm? More importantly, where did you get an arm? Fairfield pulls out a long metal rod. And stuck it into the top of the container. Now witness what happens when I probe the arm. No, no, that's not okay. Things started slithering out of the arm. Tiny, long, pink things that wriggled in the water as if tasting it before retreating back into the crevasses between the bones. Gentlemen, have you ever, say, cracked your knuckles? We both do? That is worms. Our knuckles? In everyone's. In our knuckles. In all your joints and bones. How do you know it's not just that one arm? Oh, no, apologies, friends. I misspoke. Not everyone. Most people. I have been studying the life cycle of what I call Cestoda ferfieldis. It is a species of parasitic worm that matures in the upper atmosphere after dispersal by joint rupture. Once the worm eggs have been inhaled, they propagate in the body, mature, and during periods of stress to joints, they can release eggs which escape into the air. They then travel on the currents, where they begin their life cycle again. How... how large is the range of their dispersal? I have not detected any regions within my range that are not worm-infested. How far is your range? The northern and southern American continents. Okay. What do we do? How do we kill them? And what is the purpose of Cestoda Fairfieldus? It appears that they feed on our joints as we grow older making us more susceptible to death. The joints swell with eggs later in life. This was mistaken in pre-event times as arteritis. 
If the limbs are not torn from the body before the life cycle can complete, they will burst from the swollen limbs to begin the life cycle once more. How do we get rid of the worms? I confess, I have not found a cure. They are, how you say, hardy. Hardy? Yes. <sighs> but the worms are only a small point that your viewers must know about. Good god, what else is there to- There is much more, come! Fairfield leads us past his zombies towards a small spiral staircase leading up to the roof. On an upper patio, he points to a telescope. Ah, see for yourself. Looking through the telescope, one can see a small yellowish dot in the sky. Blurred, but clearly there. Do you see? It's a dot. A yellow dot. That is hell. What? Let me see. Are you sure that's not just dirt? I have cleaned the telescope multiple times. Please, give me credit. I am scientist. How in the hell is that hell? Several months ago, I attached a probe to a balloon, and using gravitational spin of Earth, I launched it at Venus. When it reached planet, I expected to find large sulfur deposits, enormously high temperatures, perhaps a race of sentient man-pig which we could cultivate for pork pre-cooked. I was instead greeted with the sound of music and groans of pain. It was at this point the doctor showed us a tape of what his probe, the Fairfieldist One, saw. This was originally in Mandarin Chinese. Using translator program, I deduced that our friend was Hong Qin, a native of the Qing Dynasty. It would appear that most of the people that died on the planet Earth in at least the last couple of thousand years were transported to the bowels of Venus to be tortured for all eternity by a six-year-old in a hat. It was through Dr. Fairfield's device that your hosts were curious about the possibility of interviewing Han Chin about his experiences in Hell and his time spent with Dr. Fairfield's device. But it was at this point that the six-year-old in a hat came into view of the camera and the recording abruptly cut off. His eyes burned brighter than the fires that surrounded him. No interviews with Mr. Chin for a while, I think. I will send a new probe next month. Possibly to Mars? Come with me, i show you more. Doctor, these things you've discovered- No, there are still more, come! Motherfuckers discovered hell, that's not his climax. Fairfield leads us back down into his lab and holds up what appears to be a stethoscope attached to a metal box, with two wires ending in thin metal rods hanging from the bottom. This is of the utmost importance. We will take this experiment outside. We follow Fairfield into a small clearing behind his warehouse, in the center of which stands an average-looking tree. Here. You listen. I was skeptical. Until I placed the buds of the device into my ears as Dr. Fairfield struck the tree with metal rods, and what I heard was most unsettling! What? I'm sorry, what was that? Hang on, let me see that. What? Yes. You see now, yes? Why are the trees screaming? Do you know? They have always been doing that? The trees have always been screaming. Even now. In a timber we cannot perceive without the aid of modern science, they are screaming. The doctor led us back inside, where he showed us a polished cross-section of a tree trunk. Winding through the center were a series of concentric rings. He took this wooden disc and placed it on an old vinyl record player. These things are still around. Good taste never dies, my friends. Now, listen. 
we couldn't believe what we were hearing. As the disc spun slowly around, the needle being guided by the tree rings, we could, we could hear it. Screams. Shrieks of terror and dread from the earliest years at the center of the ring to the most recent at the edge. Nothing but screaming. Screams. Lots of them. The oldest trees I could chop down all have the same thing. Screams. Hundreds of years of screams. There was a point pre-event where all the trees I have studied experienced a period of much louder screams. This lasted for about a decade. I am planning to go west to chop down one of those giant red motherfuckers. I will need a larger record player, but it will be worth it. It was damn near traumatic. If not for the possibility that dawned on us that we were being played for fools. Fools! This man, this doctor, we surmise, could very well have been nothing more than a common con man out to instill fear into your brave hosts in this hostile land. His evidence is circumstantial and could easily have been fabricated. Of all the horrors and viscera he had shown us, not a single thing could be verified beyond his tools and his supplies. We then confronted him. Dr. Fairfield, exactly what kind of doctor are you? Yeah, where do you get off with your... your... Worms! And your hell! And your screaming trees! I can see you're skeptical with my discoveries. Gentlemen, my science is sound. You need not question yourselves. Doctor, worms in dismembered bodies are not uncommon. Fuzzy lights in the sky are aplenty, and your hazy videos could be doctored. These tree screams, although unsettling, are also easily fabricated. Frankly- And why would you tell us there are worms inside us? More or less that, yeah. I can see you are very skeptical. A bit. More than a bit. Entirely. And deeply frightened. Very well. I have shown you my experiments and the answers they provide. Let me show you now a question that has remained unanswered, even to me. Dr. Fairfield pulls a dirty monitor down from a shelf and plugs it into a large computer standing against the wall. With the tug of a spare generator, the machine buzzes to life and the monitor flickers on, settling on a picture of a few lights flickering around a central, brighter light. What's this then? If this is another trick... No tricks! I am scientist. I ask questions. I've shown you my answers. Here now is a question that had no answer. Some time ago, I sent a probe into space in order to look upon a most distant object that circles our sun. The rock known as Pluto. My probe, feeding me a live video of the rock, continued to sail past as its trajectory would inevitably lead it to do. However, once it moved past Pluto, the camera seemed to stop working. Curious but relentless, I sent another probe. This is when I discovered that my machine had not cut off, but instead simply could not show me what was not there. On this second probe, I attached a camera that I could control with a computer, so I might be able to look around to find my first probe. Did, did you find it? Yes. But it is what I did not find that interested me. What you didn't find? Stars. My guests, the stars are gone. 
Dr. Fairfield pulls out a joystick controller attached to his computer. He pushes it to the right, and the field of view on the monitor rotates towards the right. He continues, rotating it past the pale rock of Pluto, further right, finally resting on a small silver and gold box with a white balloon attached to it, suspended in the darkness. When I found my probe, it was stuck. It was not moving away as it should have been. It was sitting there, a few thousand miles past Pluto. Now, once I got my second probe up and set in orbit around the rock, I realized what was missing. The stars. Not a single one, blistering or blinking left in the sky. Every moment from inside our solar system they can be seen. But once we pass the edge of the solar system, the illusion vanishes and all of them are gone. Dr. Fairfield let us move the camera's field of view around with the joystick to prove he was not doctoring the image in any way. The video is live. The doctor's right. The stars were... Gone. Fucking... Gone. But... Where did they go? And like, why can we see them at night? I do not honestly know, my friends. All I know is that beyond what we know, we do not know. But there is something else I saw, after watching my probe for some time. It is getting closer. The abyss, as I have called it, is pushing toward us. And whatever took the stars is drawing nearer to us. But, but we can see them in the sky right now. We were just outside looking and we saw them. Yes, this is true. But what we see is in reality not there to be seen. We see them, yet, as we see here, they are also gone. Where did they go? I do not have that answer, I'm afraid. Our time spent with the good doctor was pretty messed up. We saw worms. We talked to hell. We heard trees screaming, and we... We gazed into a place mankind should never see. The doctor bade us farewell, and thanked us for letting him speak, and thanked us for getting these messages out there to you, our listeners. We left his rotting shack without a shadow of a doubt that he was a man of true science. As we left that cold, dilapidated valley in those rocky mountains of Colorado, our joints popping, and our eyes fixed on the trees and the sky, the smell of cologne slowly fading from our clothes, we left with more knowledge than we had expected or intended to carry. Perhaps more than anyone should have. But we leave it to you, listeners, to do with that what you will. I, personally, am going to get very drunk on moonshine back at the car until I forget about worms. Let's get the hell out of this place first. Agreed. And so on this cold, dark night, this is Ed. And Oz. And this has been Postpod Talk. So here I go again, putting the pieces back to 